0: The following message is made available for you by Emanuel Baptist Church in Moore, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.manuelmoore.com. Uh,
1: in every courtroom drama that you'll see, there always uh, is a time in which chaos erupts in the courtroom. It could be during a testimony. It could be during the reading of the verdict. It could be when the sentencing is uh, handed down, but somehow the drama needs to be heightened in a courtroom scene with some sort of of bedlam. Uh, When that happens, the old cliche will almost certainly come from the judge. He'll take his gavel and he'll pound on there and he'll say, order in the court. It almost never happens in real court, by the way, if any of you have sat in on court before. Uh, You just don't hear that very often but it makes sense to put that into a drama because disorder and chaos go against our natural inclinations people and societies thrive when there is order and structure in life regardless of your political inclinations the riots last year in minnesota in minneapolis ought to jar us and shake us, and rightly so. Because an ordered society is a peaceful society. Uh, You don't have to watch an episode of Hoarders to know that clutter and chaos and mess within the home just doesn't allow for a peaceful uh, home where children and parents prosper. Uh, so this, uh, this need for uh, order is intrinsic to us because it's part of who God is. And it's part of his character that he has uh, released to us. A desire to bring order out of chaos. Uh, in, in God, we see right away in Genesis chapter 1, uh, when uh, God created the heavens and the earth Verse 2 tells us this, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now almost every commentator that you read on Genesis 1-2 says that this is describing nothing but chaos. There's water and it's whooshing everywhere and there's nothing Uh, uh, putting it to a structure until God steps in and says, let there be light, let there be land, let there be uh, birds and fish and all these things. And all of a sudden, out of this chaos, God births uh, order. There's a mess and God cleans it up. And we follow in his footsteps. In Genesis chapter 2, when he uh, gives Adam the task to cultivate and keep the garden, what is he asking Adam to do? take this mess of black dirt and make something of it get rid of the weeds don't let them overgrow make sure that the plants themselves are growing in a healthy way the entirety of human history can be summed up by the need uh, for order out of chaos so then when we open up first timothy we find that the overall context of the letter is that Paul has sent his protege, Timothy, uh, to Ephesus to bring order into a church that is in, in complete chaos. False teachers have risen up. They've stolen the hearts and the minds of a good number of folks. They have taught things that are contrary to the truth of the gospel and instead taught things that are, well, really not that different from some of the false teachings today even, which we'll see here in a bit. And the consequences of false teaching in Ephesus had to do with an understanding of how they were to view gender, especially in the church, in light of the gospel. And with everything that this passage says, Uh, There has, and all the ink that's been spilled over the years, let me suggest that this passage really only boils down uh, to two aspects that can easily derail a church uh, and the order that God wants from it. The first is a lack of holiness and spiritual growth within the members of the church. And also a failure to observe the order and the structure that God has created for the church. And so uh, those then are all played out on the stage of worship. And so that's what we're going to look at today. There are two uh, points only today. And the first is, is that when we worship God, we need to worship him in holiness and in humility. We need to worship God in holiness and in humility. As much as it goes against our cultural moment, Paul highlights some very specific gender-related issues here within the church that are pertinent to the church today. In verse 8, he begins by addressing the men. He says, therefore, I want the men in every place, means in every church, every house church, to lift up holy hands without anger or argument in prayer. So the word therefore connects this passage with the above passage, which we looked at last week, which talked about praying for for all kinds of people, for presidents and senators and for city leaders and teachers. Why? Because God desires that everyone would come to a knowledge of uh, Jesus Christ and be saved. And then here in verse eight, he is rectifying a particular problem among the men at Ephesus. They were angry. And because of that, they were prone to arguing within the context of worship. And it isn't surprising given the fact that, generally speaking, this isn't true across the board, men tend to gravitate towards anger and argumentation more easily. Combine that with the fact that there were false teachers that are fighting for the spotlight here. And uh, in my experience, when people are trying to pull a power play within the church, sinfully so, Uh, it is almost universal that they will have a short fuse. That when something goes wrong, anger will bubble up. Conversely, the people that hold to the truth may get angry, but oftentimes it results itself in argumentation. They are glad to push the truth at the expense of grace. So in verse 8, Paul instructs these men on how to worship specifically through prayer, but also generally worship in their lives. He says, therefore, again, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. So the key phrase here is holy hands. Paul is not concerned about the posture of prayer here. He's not saying that when the men pray, they have to have their arms up. You look throughout the entire Bible, and there are about a gazillion different prayer uh, positions that people pray. They can go on their knees, they can be laying on the floor, they can have their hands up, they can have you know, all these different positions of prayer. So that is not what Paul is getting at. The typical Jewish prayer was with arms up and the, and the palms up towards heaven like this. So you would see a lot of the Jewish men at that time that would pray in, in such a way. But Paul is not concerned about where the position of their hands are. He's concerned with the position of their heart. He is concerned with what's going on with them spiritually. They were to pray with holy hands, not hands that are, that are clenched in, in fists of anger, but hands that are open and receptive to their faults and their need for the Lord. Hands that are free from striking others, especially their wives and their their children. Hands that are held out for peace among people in the church, especially those that they don't like. Hands that represent holiness in their entire being. The anger and argumentative spirit within the men here at, at Ephesus is alive and well in many of the hearts of men Here today. And Paul is saying that if that is you under the authority of the Lord, those things are hindering you from worshiping purely. You can't scream at your wife and walk in here like everything's cool. You can't argue with your boss throughout the week and then be under God's authority when you are here. You can't dishearten your children and then sing holy is the Lord wholeheartedly. Your anger is a heart problem. But Jesus is a heart surgeon. And if you go to him, he can repair you. And if that's you, go to him. If you need help, come to me. I would be glad to help you. And Paul shifts now to the ladies, in verse nine, and and he really stays with them for the rest of the passage here. And there are essentially two issues that are facing the women here at Ephesus. Uh, and although you could say that that uh, there are some women that struggle with our anger and argumentation, uh, and. You could also conversely say that some of the men struggle with these things too. Paul's saying that these, uh, there are two things in particular that were creating disorder. One was highlighting physical beauty and the, uh, well, we'll get to the second one here. The physical beauty uh, was distracting and that, that needs to be considered. Look at verse nine. Also, the women are to dress themselves in modest clothing With decency and good sense." So by putting the word likewise, or in the uh, the CSB here they they said the word also, Paul's indicating that he is continuing his trajectory on what worship is to be like, and how it is to be carried out. Uh, We shouldn't think that verse 8, because it says, I want the men everywhere to pray lifting holy hands, that there is a restriction for women to pray publicly that's not what paul is saying first corinthians 11 is clear that that women are to pray publicly uh, within the worship service it's just that the men had this issue with anger and argumentation but by saying that women should dress themselves in modest clothing ought to tell us that there were some women in Ephesus that were coming to church who weren't dressing modestly The word modesty here undoubtedly had sexual overtones and paul is instructing them that their demeanor and their dress ought not to be um seductive or suggestive and this might be uh uh, this this isn't because it might make the men think things that they shouldn't although that is something that should be considered It's because it's right to display humility and modesty. Not to be a distraction. To not allow other people to think something about you that isn't true. God wants Christian women to take their stand against everything regarding sexual immorality And their wardrobe is one way in which they can do this. So in this way, Paul is saying that you ought not to to dress to distract or to call attention to yourself. Our focus is to point the beauty and point our gaze to Jesus Christ. Now the second thing that Paul highlights for women here is the distraction of wealth. Some of the ways that these women would adorn themselves were evidently causing a distraction between the rich and the poor within the church. Look at verse nine in in its entirety. The women are to dress themselves in modest clothing, decency and good sense, not with elaborate hairstyles, gold, pearls, or expensive apparel. So the latter part of verse nine is uh, highlights how some women were displaying their socioeconomic level within the church by how they would doll themselves up. And it would be in such a way that it would be to denigrate those who were of lower socioeconomic status In Hellenistic society in which this comes out of elaborately braided hair was a sign of uh, luxury. And obviously gold and, and pearls, and they still hold a, a high amount of value today. Um, but imagine with me, if, I'm glad there was no lady that came in like this today. A lady comes into our church service and she's wearing an Armani pantsuit. <laughs> and she's got this bracelet that's lined with you know, five levels of diamonds. And she's got these earrings that sparkle like in uh, oh, that cars movie when what's his name would always go kchow, ka chow, and he would blind him with his things like that. Yes, lightning McQueen, thank you. You know, even if she sat down and looked at her watch, you would see the the reflections up there, and I probably would get a migraine from the Reflections coming up here. And you would uh, see that in Ephesus, this wasn't just one woman, but it became America's next top model. There was a competition. And you can't tell me that wouldn't be a distraction when, oh, oh, you know? That's distracting. And added to this adornment wasn't just for the wealthy, uh, it also had the pretty woman syndrome. You know that Julie Roberts movie where she's a prostitute and she meets a, a rich man and he takes her in and, and, and makes her uh, not a prostitute. I don't know if I've ever seen Pretty Woman. I think that's what it's about. Uh, in Ephesus, such adornment was typical of prostitutes trying to look richer than they were. So this is Ephesus, it's the city of Artemis, which is the goddess of fertility. And so one of the things that a lot of the, the, the um, uh, Artemis worshipers would do, the female ones, would try to dress like her. And so if you were to dress like Artemis, it was tantamount to being loose sexually and also unfaithful in your marriage. So Paul is saying that the way that you dress matters. There is something to it. It says something about your worship. But side note, ladies, you can braid your hair, by the way. You can wear gold, you can wear pearls. He's not saying you can't. Again, it's the same thing with the men. It is an issue of the heart. And it is caring for God's other people in church. Are you drawing attention to yourself? Are you being distracting? That is what Paul is getting at here. So then how were the women to clothe themselves? Paul puts it in metaphorical terms. He says, but with good works as is proper for women who profess to worship God. So ladies, how are you adorning yourself? Is it to call attention to yourself? Or is it to call attention to the beauty of Jesus? are there ways in which being here uh, that it's a distraction to other people around you either way whether you're a man or a woman we are to worship the lord in humility and holiness and there's a second thing here is that we need to worship god within his prescribed structure so the trouble with controversial passages, like, like we're gonna look at here in verses 11 through 15, is that it's sort of like panning for gold. And when you try to figure out what, it, what a text is saying and how it applies to you, I, I do think of it sort of like panning for gold. You have this little net thing and you get the dirt and the sand that's in there and you pour a little water in it and you shake it up and you you bring it back down you shake it up until all the dirt and all the the sand is sort of out of there and you're left with the gold when we're looking at scripture we have to figure out what is the sand and dirt as far as the cultural context of what's happening in Ephesus what are the things that Paul is addressing contextually that we don't necessarily need to worry about today And then we have to think about what are the biases that we bring into the text based on our culture and the things that we know. We have to be willing to uh, sift that out too in order to get the gold of what God is actually saying to us and how it applies to us. And this passage today is a good old-fashioned Minnesota doozy. So, let's get into it. Verse 11, Paul continues his instruction for proper worship among the women he writes uh, a woman is to learn quietly with full submission now why in the world would paul write this i mean this sounds awfully harsh but it's not if we remember what is happening here at ephesus there's chaos here in the church There are things that are going on all over the place. False teachers have turned the place upside down. Worship services were not organized. People were interrupting. These women apparently were interrupting the sermon, interrupting worship service by being loud, being boisterous, whatever uh, form that came in here. And uh, not only then were they a distraction with their attire, but they're distracting with the peace of the church as well. They would try to usurp the authority of the elders in their teaching. And so when Paul wrote verse 11, he wasn't saying, you know what, the women just need to shut up and listen. That's not what Paul is saying at all. Rather, he is appealing to order in the church, which some of these women were disturbing. And I would argue that this particular verse isn't even gender specific in its scope. Guys, don't distract in the worship service. None of us should. We learn with quiet and respectful hearts that want to know the Lord, want to know more, and want to to grow. Verse 11 then has the goal of creating a worship environment which all of us, Men, women, boys, girls, little children can grow. It just so happened that the women of this particular church was causing an issue. And so now we reach verse, verse 12. I, I do not allow a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. Instead, she is to remain quiet. Well, okay, so in order to get at this, there's a couple things that we need to make sure that we understand. The first is, is that we live in a very confused society. On the one hand, we have a very egalitarian society which wants to say that there really are no distinctions between men and and women and that we should just really blend everything together to the point of being androgynous. On the other hand, we have a society that says, you know what, there are actually unique things about men and women, and your chromosomes and your biology really doesn't matter. You can just choose to be whichever one you want to be, and it really doesn't matter. Your authentic self isn't biological, rather it's mental is what we're we're told. So let's keep that in mind, uh, that we bring in biases when we approach a text. Second, we need to remember that Paul's words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are scripture. And what that means is that Paul is writing the very words of God. Uh, It isn't that Paul is out of date here. It's not that he is out of touch uh, or have some sort of misogynistic bent. 2 2 Timothy 3 tells us that the word of God is breathed out by God. Theologians use the word inspired. Third, we need to remember that when God created man and woman... He created them equal in worth and dignity and honor in his sight. But unique in their role and function. This is modeled after the Trinity. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equal in their divinity. But they are separate in their role and function. The things that God the Father is responsible for are not the things that God the Son is responsible for. The things that the Holy Spirit is responsible for are not the roles or the functions of of the Son. Yet they are all part of the Godhead. So when we look at verse 12, when Paul says, "'I do not permit,' he is speaking with all the weight and authority of God. And the restriction that he brings up here has to do with the authoritative biblical leadership within a biblical church. And it's binding throughout for all churches throughout all time. And the overarching principle is that leadership of a church is reserved for qualified men. And we'll get into why that is here in just a second. But first, let's work out this verse. It appears that Ephesus was actually quite a progressive Uh, culture compared to the rest of the uh, Near East at that time. Uh, Women were afforded the opportunity to be doctors and lawyers and teachers within the the context of Ephesus, which is a great thing. However, what was happening here in uh, the church was that these disruptive women were trying to usurp the authority of the church and take it upon themselves. And more than likely, these teachers, these false teachers, were feeling the egalitarian wind at their back and uh, afforded them the opportunities to preach and have oversight within the church. And while many of us would applaud such moves, Paul steps in uh, and says that instead of being progressive in the church, it instead is showing a symptom of disorder within the church to remedy this, Paul flat out details the restrictions on authoritative leadership. And he will so all the way down through chapter 3. When it comes to verse 12, the question is to what extent is this prohibition? Are the women prohibited from teaching at all? And not to have authority over a man in a local church? Can, Can women teach women within a local church? Can they teach men in the local church under certain parameters? Well, it seems that the word teach in this particular context is somehow related to the word authority. So within a local church context, the primary teaching and preaching of doctrine are responsibilities that are on the shoulders of the elders of a church. And the problem with this teaching in a modern context is that we sort of want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Some of us hear this and, and we say, well, I mean, if women can't be pastors, if they can't be preachers, then they just can't do anything. And that is not true. Women can teach and disciple other women. Women can be missionaries. Uh, there are many leadership positions that are in the church that are at at. The disposal. Just because there is a prohibition of leadership and eldership within the local church doesn't denigrate, oppress, or lessen who women are in the image of God. When we embrace the roles that God has ordained for us as men and women, he is glorified so one thing that we have to take into consideration here is that Paul is talking about the local church. I have gone to Christian conferences in which some of the keynote speakers have been women. I have no problem with that. It's not a church context. There's no authority structure that is there. It is simply an educational environment. So then the, the logical question is, why? Why does, why does God in his Word say this? And, and this seems to be backwards when we compare it to our, our contemporary culture. To some of us, this may be even insulting. But Paul gives us two reasons, actually, for why this is proper and binding. The first is creation, and the second is sin. In verse 13, Paul says that uh, the reason for this structure Is because it is rooted in creation. He points all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 by saying, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. In a traditional Middle Eastern culture, order matters. Particularly in Judaism, the firstborn male was the one who was to receive a double portion of the inheritance of uh, the father. It didn't mean that his younger brothers were worth less or had less dignity or anything like that. When we approach this text, we mustn't uh, get into the error of thinking that because Adam came first, and therefore leadership in the church is reserved For his descendants that women have less dignity, value, or worth. It's the way God intended it to be. Second notice, the reason is based on sin. Verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and transgressed. So again, order here is crucial. Adam was created first. Eve introduced this chaos. It's not to say, again, that women create chaos by virtue of their gender. It's saying that Eve was the representative of women that would come. And one thing that we need to remember when we think about Genesis chapter 3 is that, yes, Eve was the first to succumb to the temptation. But who was responsible for the act of the fall? Does God go to Eve and say, what in the world did you do? He goes to Adam and says, what's up with this? Because even at that point, Adam was already the assumed leader and authority figure within the family. How could he let this happen? Leaders take the hit for the team when something bad happens, even if they are not the ones that did it. And Paul concludes this section in a very interesting way. Verse 15, he says, But she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with good sense. So I sat on this verse for a long time this week, and I want to give you my articulate, deeply theological explanation of this. I don't have a clue what Paul is talking about here. And you go to the commentators. They don't have a clue. They offer two suggestions. I think it has something to do with with connection with Eve and and the bearing out of her seed eventually coming to Jesus. I think it has something to do with that. Um, I'm with the Apostle Peter who wrote in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. He said, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation Just as our dear brother Paul is written to you according to the wisdom given to him, he speaks about these things in all of his letters. There are some things that are hard to understand in them. And if the apostle Peter says that there are some hard things to understand in the apostle Paul, then I'm comfortable with saying, I don't have a clue in the world what this verse is talking about here. But one thing I do know is that both men and women are not saved by the birth of someone, but they're saved by the death of someone. They're saved by the death of Jesus Christ. And I know that Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this. It says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. Okay, folks, so God is cleansing us today. He's cleansing us with with his word. Our church, Emmanuel Baptist, is not structured like this. And when we go to uh, chapter 3, we're going to find that right now our church is not structured like this. We don't have a biblical elder board that is overseeing the church. We have an authoritative leadership board made up of of, uh, men and women who are wonderfully God-centered biblical men and women. And pragmatically, it's worked. But we are in the process of trying to align ourselves in the near future with what God has for us to be a church that is following him in his God-ordained ways to provide structure provided from the word. So as we close out today, as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that all of our worship is in order and not chaotic. Not that we are in chaos, but we're always seeking to sharpen who we are in light of God's word. So will you pray with me as we seek as a church to be in line with his word for us as individuals and as a church. Let's pray.
0: Father. You have been listening to a message from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Moore, Minnesota. You are welcome to pass this message along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Emmanuel Baptist Church. This message has been made available by the generous supporters of Emmanuel Baptist Church. For additional information about how you can partner with Emmanuel, please visit us at www.emmanuelmora.com. There you will find more free messages and links to ministry opportunities to help you grow in your faith. If you are watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button to always receive the latest messages. Thanks again for listening. Emmanuel Baptist Church, Mora, Minnesota. Knowing Christ and Making Him Known.